Last week's message, we talked about, we talked in Ecclesiastes about wisdom, um, the, the limits to wisdom. And there was some, some humor in it, there was uh, some lightheartedness to it. Uh, I have to warn you a little bit today, I think if you, as we read, uh, today's message is going to be a little more um, sobering. We're going to be talking about death. And so we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2. Um, death is at times hard to talk about, but it's important because... Um, it helps us to really reflect upon what life is really about. So we'll be reflecting upon death this morning. Uh, listen closely as I remember the names of the members of this church who have passed into eternity in the last 10 years. In 2019, Deb Barkley died of asphyxiation at the age of 58. In 2018, George Noland died of prostate cancer at the age of 84. In 2016, Bill Clark died of diabetes at the age of 63. In 2014, John Wedland died of brain cancer at the age of 50. In 2012, Brian Salzgiver died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 46. Also in 2012, Kenny Johnson died of a brain tumor at the age of 32. In 2010, Brent Bartosovsky died in a work accident at the age of 47. And in 2010 as well, Nick Hodgins died of a drunk driver at the age of 18. These were all members of our church. Some of their deaths, deaths were sudden. Others were expected. Some died at an old age. Some died much younger. Some had young children. Others had none. And in each of these cases, the, the families mourned and we mourned as a church. Nick Hodgins, his death really stands out uh, because just before his death, about two weeks before, he stood on the stage here with the seniors that had graduated that year and talked about his plans for college and work and music, among other things. And his death was so shocking, for within two weeks, his life was ended. I remember all the youth that came to his memorial service. It was at Decatur High School in Federal Way. Um, Everyone was shocked and staggered by the loss of Nick's life. But I know I can say this, that no matter the circumstances of a person's death, young or old, Death is sad, it's sobering, it's final. The book of Ecclesiastes wants us to look at life from the perspective of death, the perspective of the end. For the preacher knows that looking at death will help us to live life from the right perspective. Death compels us to consider and search for meaning in this life. Think of the preacher in Ecclesiastes, probably Psalm, as a rescuer. He's a rescuer prying a a sailor's white-knuckled grip to a a sinking ship. And we can be like sinking sailors, becoming so attached to this world that we we grab on it, we won't let go, even if it's sinking around us. We need the preacher's words to wake us up. So this morning, we will consider the certainty of death and the uncertainty of the timing of death. Our text is a call to see life as passing and see the vanity of life, but to recognize by faith that knowing Christ is the only healing 
antidote to our ails. We look at our text thematically this morning. We're going to look at death and then faith. So we won't follow exactly in the verse order that we've done in the past, um, and I'll, I'll try to help you walk you through that as we go along. So follow along closely. The big idea this morning, you'll see it on the screen, is this. The antidote for the uncertainty, for the certain uncertainty of death is received by faith. A little bit of a brain twister. The antidote for the certain uncertainty of death is received by faith. Let's begin with death, and then we're going to see five properties of death that haunt us. Five properties of death that haunt us. The first haunting aspect of death is that we have no power over it. We're going to look at verses 2 through 9 of chapter 8, which consider abusive authority to start. I'll read those verses. I say, verse 2, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he knows not, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. We know that God made authority structures for the good of mankind. If you recall the, the words of, of David um, in, in 2 Samuel 23, he said this about the blessing of godly authority. He said, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on, the, on them like the morning light. Like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. Like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Godly authority is is refreshing. It's encouraging. It promotes growth and life. But when a king or any authority abuses the power given to him by God, it's really scary to be in that place. There are countless times in history where authorities have abused and have harmed those under their power. Uh, we see this, this inferred in ver- the end of verse 9. These actions remind humanity of our own powerlessness. We desire to control our circumstances to make sure everything's safe. Uh, and we feel safer we can do this. But when a corrupt ruler has power over the sword, life is in jeopardy. Verse 8 really touches on the, the heart of the problem. It's kind of four parts here. It's the problem in the inability to control death. And we lack power. It says we can't control our own spirit. And even more, we can't control a king's spirit. We can't choose the day of our death. And when a, when a king conscripts someone to go to war through a draft or so on, they have no control. And even when you try to fight wickedness with wickedness, it doesn't provide deliverance. We're powerless to control death. Abusive human authority is one example, a, big, a dramatic illustration of man's powerlessness over death. Think of some of the most um, notorious murderous leaders that have reigned in not-so-distant history. Mao Zedong in China, Stalin, Hitler. The people under, under them were powerless to their murderous power. 
And today, there are many people who live in places around the world under murderous leaders. Their lives and their deaths are examples of the human inability to control death, our power over death. And this lack of power, it's, it's haunting. We can't control death. We can't. The second haunting aspect of death is that it isn't fair. It isn't fair. Those who are wicked die, but oftentimes they die like everyone else. Look at chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had, been, where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. Not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. It does not upset us that the wicked are buried. It upsets us the wicked are not buried uh, quickly enough. Crimes are committed, problems take place, and the evildoers continue on. They're, they're, they're not judged speedily enough. Even worse, sometimes the, the wicked are, are spiritual men. They're godly men in name who walk in and out of the holy place. We see that in verse 10 here. In biblical history, if you think back, maybe to 1 Samuel 2, the, the, the sons of Eli, the high priest, these were such men as these. For years, they, they abused their positions for their own personal gain. They hung around the tabernacle. They were eating of the, the sacrifice to make just gluttonous meals out of it. They were fulfilling their sexual pleasures with the, the women that were around the tabernacle for their own gain, abusing as you can imagine, these abusers, abusers would long, and they did long for justice, for something to be stopped. And they even began to despise the place of worship because of these men. God's name was being defamed. But we also know that this problem isn't just in ancient biblical history. This really saddened me. This last week, a world-renowned evangelist and apologist, whom I and many have highly regarded was found to have committed um, multiple acts of sexual misconduct. Um, these findings were, were found out after he died. In May of 2020, Ravi Zacharias died of spine cancer at the age of 74. For nearly 50 years, Ravi had proclaimed the gospel and defended the faith. And I remember when I was in college, just after getting saved, I remember learning from his defense of the faith. But just four months ago, Three women, after his death, um, accused him of, of sexual harassment and other things. And many people were shocked by these accounts, especially his own ministry. I, for one, it's hard to accept a, an accusation after someone, someone dies. But under pressure to do, that, do so, the Ravi Zacharias Ministries um, called for an independent investigation. And it was reported that everything that was said was true. And many other accusations of abuse were uncovered and found to be true. Ravi used his fame, his power, his wealth to um, hurt many others and to please himself. And it's a sadness that we once again see a Christian leader shaming the name of Christ. Um, it really should sober us to see just how sinful we, we are as people, how the places we can go. Ravi is now another tragic example of a man who entered holy places and he received praise, but he was actually living a, a, a double life. He was committing crimes of abuse. Uh, Ravi died 
But you can, you can be sure that those who were abused and fooled, justice didn't happen quickly enough. It wasn't speedily enough taking place. This is the story of life under the sun. Death comes to all, but death isn't fair. Look at, look at verse 14. There's a vanity that takes place in the earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this is also vanity. This is kind of the summary. Death and the day of death, they just aren't fair. The, the third haunting aspect of death is that it happens to all. It happens to all. Death is ubiquitous among the living. It happens to everyone. Let's now read chapter 9, verses 2 through, 5, 2 through 5. Chapter 9, verses 2 through 5. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, as is he who shuns an oath. This is an evil that is... This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. I like how Mark laughed in that little phrase. <laughs> for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. We all know it, but really it's, it's worth saying out loud, maybe saying it to ourselves. You're going to die. The, the same event happens to all. Girls and boys, uh, city dwellers and country folk, religious and irreligious, the same event happens to everyone. And, and that knowledge is an important fact for us to, to think about and consider. Uh, Moses wrote in Psalm 90, and he, he made a prayer to God, and he said, Teach us to number our days so that we may g- gain a heart of wisdom. Moses wanted, life, wanted to live life with the perspective of his days being limited, that, that his time was uh, short and he would utilize his time in the right way. Um, those of you who do know Kenny Johnson, I mentioned him earlier, Kenny died of a brain tumor in 2012 at the age of 32. And he left a wife and uh, three young children at the time. His, his oldest son is now a, a senior in high school. His loss was a tragedy for, our, our, his, for, for his family in particular, but our church on a whole. I remember the day where he passed and with, uh, our service, um, Pastor Ron, who was then the pastor, was there with the family. And so we just had a day of uh, a worship and praise and mourning. We watched as Kenny had slowly died of a, a brain tumor, and um, he had gone through several surgeries and just poisonous medications and so on. But, but a few years before his diagnosis, Kenny Johnson's life was transformed by Christ. Um, he didn't have a hope for life after death. And he, he was a, a, a man who was a manly steel worker, but he then became a manly man of God. God changed him. Kenny died well. He, he fixed his eyes upon Jesus. He was an example to us of living through suffering and holding strong in the faith until the end. And as sad as Kenny's death was, it was good for our, our church. It reminded us of the end of us all. The, the curse of death is haunting, but it is even more plaguing if seen from just this earthly perspective that the preacher is writing about here, from an under-the-sun perspective. If you don't have a 
understanding of, of an afterlife? What do you do? What do you think about life after death? Is this all this there is? Verse 4 exposes the view of death from a here and now perspective alone. You know, when he says that the preacher, it says it's a, better to be a living dog than a, a dead lion. Um, if, you, if you're living, you have hope. But if you're dead, you're, you're simply dead. In, in this time, um, dogs were just rodents. They were despised pests. But a lion, as we say today, it was king of the beasts. So he's saying it's better to be a loathed animal, so at least you're living, than a dead, revered beast. This is the perspective under the sun, only seeing life from the here and now. Death haunts everyone. But death is even worse if you don't have a perspective of what happens afterwards, if you have no hope for life after death. The preacher wants us to think about these things, to consider them, so we might look for more, as Moses did and as Kenny did. The fourth haunting aspect of death is that its timing is unknown. Its timing is unknown. It's certain, but there's uncertainty to it. No one knows the day of her death. Let me read chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly, suddenly falls upon them. We must all live with the reality that we, we really might die at any time. It, you know, it could be a, in a car accident on the way home. It could be in our sleep. God forbid, I hope none of you die right before us. <laughs> no one knows when that day will be. Like fish that are innocently swimming upstream and Aaron catches them on a pole. <laughs> like a duck... Um, sitting in a pond that becomes a dead duck, death comes suddenly. My grandmother, um, Diane, she was going to travel to visit my parents. And the, the night before, they, they talked on the phone excitedly about um, looking forward to the visit. And that night she went to sleep. She laid next to my grandfather. And the next morning he got up, he just like normal, he took a shower, and then he went back to wake my grandmother. But she didn't wake she had died in her sleep. That, that was a shocking event for me. I, I remember just breaking down her family was just the, the, the immediacy of it, just how she was there and then she was gone. Death fell quickly. It doesn't matter how fast you run, how big your muscles, how intelligent your mind, the day of death is unknown. And it, 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 it comes at a time we, we don't know. This haunts us. So let me review a little bit. Death haunts us in a few ways because we're powerless to overcome it. Because death isn't fair, because death happens to all, because death's timing is unknown. But the fifth aspect of death is, is most important and probably the most troublesome. Death is a result of the heart. Death is a result of the heart. Let me read chapter 8, verse 11, chapter 8, verse 11, and chapter 9, verse 3. 8, 11, and 9, 3. In 8, 11, it says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, we've read this before, the heart of the children of man is fully set to evil. And look at 9.3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live 
and after they go to the dead. Death isn't natural to this world. Do we know that? God created a good, a vital, a living world. But the world was cursed when, with death when Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. Death entered this world because of sin, and it entered into a heart. The, the sinfulness, the heart, has spread to all men and women. Now humans sin from a very young age because they are sinners. Sin resides in the core of who we are as people. That's what the heart means, the core of who we are as people. As 9.3 again says, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Romans 5, Paul the Apostle declared this, death has spread to all men because all sinned. Death reigns over sinners. So the chief reason that death haunts us is because sin is in the heart. And the wages, the payment for sin, is death. Men and women are in one sense born dead. We are born spiritually dead because of sin. The outward manifestation of us getting old is only highlights that which is already true on the inside. We are spiritually dead. We are dead and dying at the same time, inside and out, as a result of the human heart. Thankfully, there is an antidote for death. And it doesn't come in a pill form. You don't find it at the fountain of life. The antidote for death comes through death. Get that. The antidote for death comes through death. It's like the way we treat cancer. Cancer spreads within human cells. It kills us from within. And the way we fight cancer is to poison ourselves, really through medication and radiation. That which is killing us must die so that we might live. The antidote for death is found in the staggering, the wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, and his people with him, this is the way they receive life. And the gospel of Jesus is received by faith. The antidote for the certain uncertainty of death is received by faith. So we've now looked at five haunting properties of death. Let's now turn, we're going to look at faith now, we're going to look at five healing properties Five healing properties of faith. Five healing properties of faith. The first healing property of faith is this. Knowing it will be well. Knowing it will be well. Look at chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. I'll read that. Chapter chapter 8, verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Faith is knowing that which is unknowable under the sun. Under the sun, it is impossible to know it will be well. The preacher, after listing many ways that this life is vain and you know, difficult and passing and futile, he, the, the preacher, he, he says, he looks to God and he says, I know, I know that those who fear God will be well. This is the work of faith. Faith knows, it sees that though the sinner appears to prolong his life, as we see in verse 12 under the sun, really the wicked are quickly passing in light of the eternal God, verse 13. The believer is convinced that despite suffering under the sun, it will be well for those who fear God. Last week, we really focused on the fear of God. 
It's an important concept in Ecclesiastes. It's maybe the most important. Fearing God is to see God for who he really is. It is to be in awe and wonder. It's some of the songs we were singing before. An astonishment of the greatness of God. It is to see oneself as weak and, and needy and powerless. But it is to cast oneself confidently at the mercy of God. Who is gracious and good to his people. That's God. Death reigns over mankind because of sin. But sin does not reign over God. Sin does not reign over God. God is by nature gracious and merciful. His nature compels him to reach down to the fallen, to search for the lost. And that is what he did. That is what he did. The Son of God came down. Jesus took on human flesh. He took on the flesh of a body capable of death to conquer death. He died. To conquer death, he died. Jesus paid the wages of sin, the payment of sin, death. Jesus dealt with the inner problem of the heart, sin, by dying. Therefore, death no longer reigns as it once did. Because God is so great and wonderful, amazing, he made a way for sinners to be saved. Therefore, it is possible today for sinners to be confident that it will be well. And confidence is, is found by being in Christ Jesus, by being in Christ Jesus. Note in verse 12 how it says that those who fear, those who fear before him, fear before him. It is the nearness, the presence of God, the greatness of God that it says. It is being in Christ Jesus that allows a man and woman to be certain of life after death. Faith is placed in the substitutionary death of Christ. The believer, by faith, dies with Christ to sin. And in dying by faith, life is gained. Life is gained. The sin within our hearts is put to death by being linked to Christ who died. We identify with him. Faith brings certainty from uncertainty. Because faith knows it will be well for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second healing property of faith is the enjoyment of daily simple pleasures. The enjoyment of daily simple pleasures. Look at chapter 8, verse 15, and chapter 9, verse 7. 8, 15, and 9, 7. 8, 15 says, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. In chapter 9, verse 7, Go, Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. In 8.15 and 9.7, the preacher is pushing us towards faith. He's, he's commending, he's, he's, he commends joy in verse 15. He says, go, eat and drink in verse 7. And these exhortations are rooted in faith because, look, notice this. In verse 15, notice he says God is the giver of these things, that's faith. And in verse 7, God is the approver of of his people, that is a prover. Especially, I think right now, we need to exhort one another to faith. Daily in the news, we see how many people are dying. You know, we, we've truly changed our whole way of living because of, of death. Thankfully, the Christian faith has more to be said than the here and now. And, and we can have hope for the here and now as well. Not just we look to the future, but we can actually look today. It is possible for us to rejoice in the darkest of times 
Because we don't expect a lot from this broken world. But we do expect some good from the God who made it, who is, is good. And he gives good gifts. We know by faith that we're approved of God. Those who are in Christ Jesus are accepted by God despite their inadequacies and failings and faults. Um, so by faith, it's possible on any given day to just take joy in the simple pleasures that God has given. If you know me, and I said this a little bit earlier, I enjoy soccer. Um, sports have been um, disappointing this year. Um, there's been so many things that have been canceled, like many other aspects of life. There's limitations you, that you have to do, uh, you know, be involved with uh, limited opportunities. But I still, I don't know why, I just love walking onto a soccer field. There's just something that, like, wells up of joy in me. And, and, and I've been pushing myself just to recognize when I walk into that field, God, thank you. This is just a, a pleasure, a simple pleasure from you. He, you. You love me and approve of me in Christ, and I can take pleasure in this gift that you've given. Christian theology says that we can enjoy this life more than all others. Why? Because in Christ we have all we need. We're satisfied. We don't need to look to this broken world for our satisfaction, for our ultimate joy. Therefore, we can enjoy the the simple pleasures of this life that come. They're just frosting on the cake. There's so much to just sort of push off to the side. We can enjoy God's gift of grace to us. Faith in Christ is healing in a dying world because allowing us to take joy in the simple pleasures of this life. The third healing property of faith is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. Chapter 9, verse 8. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. I just looked over at Seth. You got some oil on your head today. In the hot, uh, sandy environments of the Middle East, white garments become soiled and skin Become, can become dry and cracked. And it would be easy to kind of think, man, this happens all the time. I'm just going to let it go. I, I don't want to fight this battle anymore. Even more, when we look at the, the, the certainty of death and the vanity of, and futility of this life, we can think, you know, what's the point? Why keep battling? Why keep pushing on? I, I think of our, our students right now in, in, in schools that you know, aren't in school. Um, it would be easy for them to say, you know, classes aren't... They aren't like they used to be. I don't um, get to be with my teachers or my classmates. What's the point? I might as well just take it easy. But faith says, this is God's world. He has given me life and he has guided my life. In Christ, he approves of me. And by response, I press on in him. I can't give up in light of who he is. White garments in the scripture often speak of purity. So faith says, I'm going to continue to fight the battle for a clean life. Though I might get dirty, I'm going to um, not give in to sin, just let it go. I'm going to keep coming to Christ and asking for forgiveness and battling against temptations that come against me. Oil on the head in the scripture often speaks of the spirit of God. So by faith, I'm going to continue to seek to be spirit-filled. I'm not going to settle for just a you know, a a half-hearted faith, I'm going to walk in dependence and fellowship with God. Are there areas right now where you're you're feeling like giving up? Um, And what arenas in your life have you 
just sort of yielded to? Is there a sin that you're not battling anymore, that you're just tired of and tired of resisting? Are you being okay, becoming okay with lukewarmness in your life in some way with your relationship with the Lord? Faith in Christ is the healing balm of faithlessness. Faith in Christ yields faithfulness. Faithfulness. Let your garments always be white. Keep anointing your head with oil. The fourth healing property of faith, look at this. It's redeemed relationships. Redeemed relationships. Look at chapter 9, verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life (laughs) that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Really, the only person in this life that doesn't have trouble in a relationship is the person on a deserted island. <laughs> All relationships have conflicts because sin resides in the heart. But faith allows us to give thanks for flawed relationships in our lives, to see them as gifts from God. Faith in Christ allows us to humbly recognize and see our own failings, and it allows us to then um, see our husband or our siblings or our friends through eyes of grace. Eyes of grace. There's nothing more valuable in this world, I don't think, than our relationships with one another. Even in their flawed state, they're a gift from God. So husbands, uh, this text seems to most directly speak to you, so I want to speak to you. Wives, you can either plug your ears or listen Faith in Christ, it it revolutionizes marriage. Husbands, you are called to love your wife as Christ loves the church in Ephesians 5. That means you love her knowing all of her idiosyncrasies and flaws. For Christ knows, what does he know? He knows every flaw and weakness and sin in his church, but he loves her. If you've been married for any length of time, you know some of your wife's flaws. You don't need to tell her about them. Faith heals relationships because it it changes the focus. It changes the focus. With an under-the-earth perspective, uh, under-the-sun perspective, we we think in relationship, what can I gain from this relationship? Faith in Christ says, how can I die for my bride? How can I die for my bride? If Christ died, and he did, death is is once again the means to vitality in life for you. A husband following Christ brings health to his bride by dying for her. Husbands, you are called to love and help and serve your wife, and that's done by dying for her. You are called to be filled with grace toward her. Husbands, I ask this. Don't settle for a mediocre, 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 there you go, Mediocre, average marriage. The world, I believe, is watching you. I think your friends are watching you. And I know that your children are watching your marriage. As in life, people, they die in many ways. So your marriage will be unique. But consider, how might I die for my bride, for my wife? In so doing, you're going to help her grow in Christ. Faith in Christ redeems relationships through death. The fifth and final healing property of death, of faith, sorry, is purpose. Purpose. Look at 
chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you were going. Death is certain. We've pretty much hammered that point in all morning. God gives us a certain number of days, and then we go to Sheol. Sheol is another way, the place of the grave. Therefore, when your time is expired, there, there's, there's no more time to work. Your time is finished. Um, if you hold that this life is just from an under-the-sun perspective, then I think your purpose can got to be summed up this way. i got a certain amount of time. I better take advantage of it, because when it's up, it's up. But if you have faith in Christ, then there is purpose that is much greater. Your work in this life, it counts from, for more than this life. The way you utilize your gifts and your talents and your skills and all those things, they will be counted, they'll be rewarded in eternity. Jesus made this clear, didn't he, when, like, when, he, when he told us the parable of the talents in Matthew 5? He said he gave one man five talents, and there two, another one. And, and the man, uh, the servants who had five and, and two, they, they doubled what they had received. And the, the man who had one, though, he just he buried his talent. He didn't make any investment. And Jesus said to the men who had doubled their talents, he said, you have been faithful over a little. I will make you, I will set you over much. But the one who buried his talent, he was reprimanded by Jesus. He said, wicked and slothful. He says, that was, that was wasteful. You didn't use what was given to you. Faith in Christ means that what we do here today matters for eternity. How we use what God has given us, it, for his glory, it matters. I want to tell you something about myself. Recently, um, God's been doing a, a good work in my life in, in, in this area. Um, he's brought me to repentance in a few different spots. And, and I, I've known from Scripture um, and from first being saved that my purpose is for God's glory. And in the past, I lived with a, a, a more a consciousness of living for his glory. Um, it, not just letting life happen, I would live for his glory. But as, I don't know when it happened, it sort of slipped, but um, I began to just do things for purposes, maybe even good purposes, but not the ultimate purpose, not consciously. I didn't forget this intellectually, but I forgot practically. So, for example, serving at the church, I was making my primary goal to, to serve people, to care for people. That's not a bad goal. And in soccer, I wanted to, to bless the kids. And at home, I wanted to serve my wife and my family. Again, not bad motives. But I was forgetting that these actions are primarily, all of life is to be done for God's glory. I lost sight of this in my daily activities. And, and God has been gracious to me. And I've been talking with the Lord about this and um, asking for forgiveness. And I'm once again seeing that just in the day-to-day of life, God, this is for your glory. I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to preach for your glory. I'm going to, I'm going to coach soccer for your glory. Uh, and please pray for me. I don't, I don't want this to be what you could, you know, I, I know my weakness. I don't want it to just be a temporary thing. I want to grow in this area. I know I'm weak. I know I can, I want to stay the course. But what I can say is that in consciously working for God's glory in the, in the, as of late, I'm having more joy in many aspects of my life and in areas I feel like 
but I felt like giving up or just saying I'm done, I've been rejuvenated. Faith in Christ, it, it provides healing for purpose. When I die, and I'm sure, I, th- I think that's true for most of us, all of us. I pray that you want your talents to be received for God's glory, that you use them for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it's almost like a, a, a parallel verse to this one. It says in the New Testament, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Faith, faith in Christ heals our purpose. We need this in a dying world. So, let's conclude. The antidote for the certain uncertainty of death is received by faith. In a life where death is coming, and we know not when, we need the healing antidote of the death of Christ. Faith in Christ has many healing properties. We see here, we know it will be well. We, we can enjoy the simple pleasures of life. We can remain faithful in challenges. It redeems our relationships, and we have greater purpose, glorifying God. And Christ is the antidote. Um, when, when Pastor Stephen got here, or came here for the, um, two and a half years ago, he was, um, became the senior pastor here, and he, he, our first staff field trip, I think Steve remembers this, he, he took us to a graveyard. <laughs> we thought, why did we choose him? All right. <laughs> he wanted us to see the headstones, um, to read the names, to study the dates, uh, to know where we are all headed. It was, a, it was a good reminder. It was a, an appropriate field trip. He wanted us to know that we are dying men preaching to dying men and women. So I hope I've done that today. I'm a da- dying man preaching Christ to you, dying men and women. Live in Christ. Live for the glory of Christ. Uh, when you begin to you know, sort of lose sight of that, read Ecclesiastes 8 and 9. Take a, a walk in the cemetery. Maybe read the obituaries. We need to be reminded about death so we might live this life well. Let's pray together. God, we know we, do, we live in a, a dying world. And we know we're dying. So Lord, help us by faith to Live in Christ Jesus. Thank you for his death that brings life and brings us life eternal, but also brings life, brings health into our our daily interactions, our relationships, gives us purpose. Help us to know that and live that way. May we live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.